So it's autumn, a time for harvest festivals and family reunions. And if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you are 50 or older, you are at greater risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. So get an updated vaccine now. Need more information? Talk to a doctor. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Vivian Tu. Vivian, aka Your Rich BFF, is CEO and founder of Your Rich BFF Media. She is a former Wall Street trader and strategy sales partner at BuzzFeed turned full-time financial literacy creator. In less than a year, Vivian has grown her audience to over 1 million on TikTok and 330,000 on Instagram as a side project. Her mission is to bring financial tips, tricks, and knowledge to underserved individuals such as women, LGBTQ plus youth, and BIPOC communities. Vivian is exploring opportunities in the podcast, publishing, and TV space. Vivian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Of course, Vivian. Vivian, I can't say how much we love you, and we're so excited. <laughs> we're so excited having this podcast, right? I mean, random thought too. I was thinking about like how your first video like came to my attention. I think you only posted one video on TikTok, and it went bananas. Something yeah. like that, right? It was nuts. Yeah, nuts, I remember nuts, that. Nuts. It's like a year ago. So I posted my first video on January 1st of 2021, like Mm -hmm. not as like a joke per se, but like definitely as like a little bit of a personal passion project. I literally made Your Rich BFF because my coworkers wouldn't stop harassing me about what they should put into their 401ks, whether or not they should have them, you know, which health insurance plan they should be picking. And I told them all, I was like, guys, like you guys are all asking me the same questions. Like I'm just going to put on social media, ha ha, thinking my seven friends would watch those videos and turns out two and a half million people saw my makeup list face. Um, and by the end of the week, I had a hundred thousand followers and I very literally had no idea what to do. Uh, I remember, uh, I forgot in like a different interview, you mentioned saying, you mentioned that, Oh no, my video blew up. I had to make more content now. And you yeah. sort of just freaked out about it. <laughs> that was crazy. Y- Yeah. I mean, like I didn't know how to make content. I wasn't a content creator. I was just like, oh, well, I guess I should make another video. Huh? And then I like did that. And I just kept going like little by little piece by piece. And I put out a piece of content every single day since then, you guys, every single day. That's That's insane. I know. Just like starting out too. like when you're first starting out on social media, it's hard to know that, you know, you should be posting every single day. Cause you know how like people say on social media, you should be posting every single day. And it's true. Like it really does help with the algorithm, but for you to have that like level of commitment after the first, you know, first one came out, that is some commitment there. So that's so amazing. There were definitely days where I was like, I don't feel like doing this, but I did it anyway. Um, And, you know, I think I had this vision that this channel was going to be able to help so many people. And I think that was the underlying reason for me doing all of it. 
And I just thought it was so silly and so crazy that we don't teach this in public school. Like, I wish I didn't have to have this channel. I wish that we just learned this the same way that we learn about algebra, the same way that we learn about physics or, you know, English in our schools. Because had I had an hour less of each of those lessons, but I learned how to do my taxes properly, I would be a more functional adult than a bunch of those classes. So I just think it's really silly that the most helpful tool for a functioning member of society is not taught in the one place that we're supposed to learn everything else. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that statement too. It's a lot of things you don't know, <laughs> you know, especially going to your first job and looking at our 401k for the first time and being like, wow, half our 401k is actually garbage. Like what am I investing into? <laughs> Who makes the yeah. decisions for me? So I'm really glad you're able to create that platform for us, but I do want to take a, take a step back and learn more about yourself, right? Sure. Where'd you grow up, Vivian? What was your upbringing like? And I just want to hear about the type of kid you were too, because you just seem so curious to me. Yeah, so... <laughs> I grew up in the suburbs of Maryland. Um, I'm an only child. My parents are Chinese immigrants. They came over to the US in their early 20s. And I was always just like such a troublemaker, so rambunctious, like endlessly curious, love to learn, a big nerd. But I, it also would just like get me in trouble. Um, I think my most vivid memory is one day I was really sick and uh, you know, when you take um, like children's Tylenol or children's Advil or whatever, it helps to reduce your fever and you feel better for like a few hours. And my dad had stayed home with me that day and he'd given me this children's, you know, medication and I was like feeling better. And so like, he let me like play a little bit to like entertain myself. And they had, I don't know what the computer game was called. It was like some sort of like reading rabbit. Like I like loved these little computer games that like were secretly teaching me things while I was playing them. And after I'd played for a little bit, my dad was like, hey, like, you need to like chill out. You need to like go lay down, take a nap, whatever, because you're sick um, and, you know, give it another two hours. You're not going to feel as good as you do now. And he happened to go out onto our deck on the second floor. And I was like, oh, I know what I should do. I'm going to lock my dad outside on the second floor deck where he like can't come inside and he can't go downstairs like he can't escape. And then I'm going to go back to playing my computer game. And I, I had him locked out there for like 90 minutes. I got like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I like truly, truly got like the worst spanking of my life when I like, when he like got back inside, but I was like, meh, worth it. Like <laughs> I was just like that kid. Like I, I was always in trouble. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Such a trouble. I'm like, I, were you even like scared at all? Just like thinking about what your dad would have been doing outside, just stuck outside. <laughs> no, I was just like, he'll be fine. Oh, he'll be my fine. Gosh. He like tried to take like a screwdriver to like the deck door to like try to let himself back in. Didn't work. Like <laughs> he was so mad. But like we all laugh about it now. Like now that like I'm an adult, like me and my family, like we'll just like tell that story anytime that like I like do something stupid. My dad will be like, do you remember when you did this? I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Like Brian mentioned, I feel like you are definitely just like such an outgoing person and like you're very creative as well. And like, you're not afraid to just like be who you are. Um, I'm curious to know, like when you, when you were growing up, did your parents always have like, did they have like the set plan that they had for you? Like, oh, when Vivian grows up, she's going to be, you know, this or that, like go into this profession or were they more lenient on you and, you know, just kind of allowed you to use your own free space and like explore things that you wanted to do? 
Yeah. So I think my parents had a very specific idea of like a dutiful Chinese daughter in their mind. And I was not it. (laughs) Um, I think they were hoping to have like a nice, you know, docile, soft-spoken, very, very intellectual daughter. And instead they got a obnoxious, loud, gregarious, stubborn, headstrong daughter instead. And they started to realize very young that they were not going to be able to control my decision-making. And I think they had always tried to like implant in my mind that I wanted to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, that I wanted to be one of the approved jobs. But I don't, I think like they knew the whole time that it wasn't going to happen. You know, when I did get my first job and became a financier and went into the financial services space, they were really, really stoked. They were like, you know, it's not doctor, lawyer, engineer, but it's pretty much the next best thing. Like, you know, there's money. This is, this is a job that's like really, really exciting for us to be able to brag to our friends about, like, this is a good, a quote unquote, good job. Um, But, you know, to watch my career progression from then is just hilarious. And Today, my parents could not be bigger supporters of Your Rich BFF. They watch my content on mobile browser. Like they don't have the apps. They, they just like search me and watch. And it's like so funny because so they want to support me even though they don't have social media. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I think, uh, I, think I love it when Asian parents do that. It's like they kind of <laughs> don't support you at the very beginning until they see that it's possible. And this is like a brand new way of succeeding, right? And then well, they're like your big supporter. Yeah, well, that's why I didn't tell my parents about your rich BFF for eight months. That's insane. You know, it's so much has happened to you over the past years. Congratulations and everything, right? I love it because I, I see all the news that's happening to you. I see everything's happening to you. And like, oh, yeah, congratulations on being engaged too. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do want to talk a little, bit about, a little bit about your time on Wall Street too. I want to yeah. hear what your experience was like on Wall Street because... I don't think that every day we get a guest that used to be on Wall Street that can really talk about it just because we hear so many mixed stories, right? Whenever we think of Wall Street, we think of like this uh, white, white frat bro working really hard, mm-hmm. making money and, you know, all these things. But I want to hear from like an Asian, Asian American woman perspective too. And what was it like for you? So when I got to the desk, I looked around and there were, I think, probably somewhere between 30 to 40 traders and salespeople And every single one of them, with the exception of one person, was a white man. So I was like, oh, good. I'm glad everybody here looks just like me. Um, I'm joking. But the the one person who was the outlier who did, that wasn't a white man, was an Asian woman. She was actually a half half Chinese, half Taiwanese woman. And she ended up becoming my manager and my mentor. And as I like to say, my unofficial rich BFF because she was the first person who ever bothered to ask me anything, any question about money. She like pulled me aside one day. was like, are you investing in your 401k? I was like, my what? Like I was busy trying to be like, do I have enough money to go to the bar this weekend? Like she, I did not care about my 401k. She was the one who forced me to put money into it. I would be traveling and she'd be like, Hey, did you use like the, the corporate company? Like hotel catalog to save money. I was like, uh, what is that? And like, I just like, didn't know all these things that she was asking me about, but for once I felt like I was getting smarter 
And I also think it was really, really inspiring to see someone who looked like me, you know, an Asian woman from modest, a modest background who didn't have that type of crazy generational, you know, five generations of millionaires in their family be as wealthy and as rich as she was. Cause I remember wanting to be like her at first for a really shallow reason, because she had a new pair of Gucci shoes and a new Chanel bag every single day. And I was like, I want a new pair of Gucci shoes and a new Chanel bag every single day, just like so many young people do. But I think over time, she was the first person to really introduce me to wealth versus just pinching pennies to try and make, you know, make it all work. Um, it was actually more about like, how do you make your money grow? So I had a very interesting experience on Wall Street. I think it is probably representative of a lot of young people of color, a lot of young women's experience on Wall Street. Would I trade it? No, I had a really great time working for her, working for another manager. It wasn't until I was moved over to a different team where I just did not feel like my old white man manager supported me, supported my goals. He wouldn't speak to me in a respectful way. He would make like weird racist, sexist comments. And I'd be like, you know, this is not, this is not it. Like I am too smart. I work too hard. I'm coming in at 5.45 in the morning, leaving at 7.30 at night. Like this job is just too straining for me to one, be treated so badly and two, not even be making the type of money that like people expect to make when you watch a movie like Wolf of Wall Street, like talking about Wall Street in the eighties, but like I wasn't making crazy money. Well, I'm sorry that you had that experience. And uh, it's, I feel like, especially on Wall Street, you see that happen a lot. I mean, people say that a lot of industries are male dominated, white male dominated. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's even more prevalent on Wall Street. And for you to experience that, it's so heartbreaking because I think that happens a lot, you know, and for you to be in a situation, an environment where you're like spending so much of your time and effort you know, clocking in early in the morning, clocking out late at night, and you're just putting all your effort into this job where you're not even respected or well-treated. It's it's really dehumanizing. Um, but I'm glad that there was someone who was like out there who was looking out for you. You know, that first person is really who makes all the difference, right? And then like, I feel like as a young child, as someone who just got fresh out of college, you know, for example, don't know anything about money, it's really easy to just you know, fall into the wrong footsteps and listen to the wrong people and just think like, all I have is all I need. Um, but that person who opened up your mind is, you know, such a lifesaver. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I just want to hear more about this, the original, your rich BFF that created our rich BFF, you know, <laughs> I, want, I want to hear about like, how did you learn about the concept of growing your money? Since this is the Asian Hustle Network podcast, you know, obviously we have a lot of hustlers in, inside our community. And then I remember watching a video where you talk about like FU money, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you mm -hmm. calculate FU money and how do you do all those things? And that, to my surprise, a lot of people, a lot of people actually don't know like what FU money even is, right? And I feel like that's a yeah. term that's kind of thrown around a lot by, you know, Wall Street people, F you money, yeah. F you money, F you money. Let's talk about that real quick, right? Yeah. How, what is it? How do you calculate it? And what does it mean for your financial freedom? Yeah. F you money is essentially the number you would need to get to for you to kick over your desk, flip your boss the bird and be like, screw you, I'm done. 
you'd be able to walk away from anything. No, like no, no contingencies. Like you are good to go forever. Um, and the way that you would calculate it is that I, what I like to do, I think the easiest method is to close your eyes and to think about how much money would you need to live very comfortably for one year? Once you have that number, divide it by 0 0.04. And what you get is your FU number. The reason why that works, right, is you're essentially dividing that number by 4%. So you're getting the number that you would be able to have invested. And 4% obviously is a very modest return on your investment. You would essentially be able to live off of the interest of the amount of money you have invested without ever digging into the principal. Meaning that would be a self-sustaining investment so that you could continue to make money while living your life, doing whatever you want to do. And I think a lot of people are surprised that the number is smaller than they think it is because we hear about these very rich people on TV and in magazines. And it's like $25 million, $100 million, billionaire. And it's like, okay, but like truly for you, your personal happiness with what you want to do with your life, how much money do you need? Because my idea of financial freedom is very different from Maggie's is very different from Brian's. There are some people who are like, I want to retire. I want to live in an Airstream. I'm going to backpack across the US. I'm never going to work. I want to just live very simply, sleep on a hammock, but I never have to ever clock in. And that freedom is worth something to me. There are people out there who are like, I need to have a minimum of three homes, one for my current, like one current residence, one in the, in the mountains and one on the beach. I also want to have two children. I want to put them both through college. I want to have, you know, two cars in my family. I want to have a golden retriever dog. And, you know, like people have these ideas of what they want as they're happily ever after. And depending on what your happily ever after is, your number is going to be very different. And it's really cool for people to do this exercise so that they know what their personal number is because it is personal finance, not everybody finance. I love how you broke that down because I feel like what Brian said, how like F you money, how everyone throws that term around. I see a lot of people on social media answering that question and giving out a random number, right? And some people will say it's going to be a million. And then some people will say it's going to be 10 million, right? And it's all relative. Like your idea of happiness and financial freedom is not going to be the same exact as someone else's because someone else might have, you know, might be happy with just very simple things and that's okay. Right. And that's, that's perfectly yeah. fine. So I love that you broke that down very, very clearly because it's not, it doesn't just fall down onto one single number. Exactly. Absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit more about your time at Buzzfeed. Right. I remember BuzzFeed was like the thing that all of us I was glued to <laughs> oh like God. back in like 2012, 2013 it was like at the peak, right? Watching like all these famous dudes end up leaving BuzzFeed like a couple years later. But, you know, I want to hear about your time at BuzzFeed and what you really learned during your time there. And I, especially your story, I find it so particularly powerful because 
you know, you're like a classic example of learn in your 20s, build in your 30s, and enjoy in your 40s, right? And then mm-hmm. that's a concept where a lot of younger people can't grasp nowadays. Like, oh, why am I not achieving these successes? Why am I getting paid so little? Why am I not giving responsibilities? I felt like you did pay your dues, Vivian. And I want to mm-hmm. hear about your time there, what you learned, and how you applied it to your own life right now. Yeah, I always joke. So I, I too, have seen the YouTube videos that are like, why I left BuzzFeed. Um, but I really don't have anything bad to say. And I know that's like not a sexy, fun, dramatic answer, but when I left JP Morgan to go to Buzzfeed, um, I was there because my first Asian female manager at, on wall street had a girlfriend who became my first manager at Buzzfeed. Like I literally worked for two best friends. It was so funny. Um, I had three managers while I was at BuzzFeed. I was there for almost four years. They, all of them were good. Everybody treated me with respect, with kindness. I also felt really, really lucky. I was given so many opportunities to succeed, to raise myself to the next level. I, you know, was promoted. I was compensated fairly. I just, I really loved it there. And I had such great friends at work that like, even outside of our work hours where like, I wasn't obligated to hang out with them. I'd be like, do you guys want to come over? Like, can we go do something? Like, should we go to dinner? And I think that's a testament to the culture that they are building there. Um, In terms of what I learned, like everything, I literally didn't know anything about media, about tech, about social, like social, digital, anything. And what I joke about your rich BFF is like, it is a blending of my two children. Um, I learned about personal finance and I learned about money and I learned about wealth and I learned about rich people when I was working on wall street. And that was a really, really great education. When I got to Buzzfeed, I learned about how does social media work? How do people make money on the internet? What makes something a good piece of content? What are partners looking for when they sign, you know, brand deals and all of that knowledge put together was what helped me develop my brand. Um, you know, I, I really do think that your rich BFF was like, I, and I really hate to be like, you know, quoting slumdog millionaire, but like it's destiny. Um, I really do feel like I was destined to do this with the life experiences that I happened to come across because my, my career path is not by any means traditional. Um, because of me having a terrible second manager on wall street, because he said those nasty things to me, I left. And then I had a great experience in tech and media, which made me want to go into that space on my own. So it really was, everything does happen for a reason. And I'm, I'm thankful for all of it. That's incredible. I think Brian and I talk about this all the time, how like a lot of content creators who become successful you see like them put out one video and it blows up, right? But a lot of the times it's stuff that they learned from the past. Like let's say they had a YouTube channel. So they picked up on all of those skills in the past that made them become successful on TikTok right from the start, right? But we always see like the first video and we're like, whoa, like that that just blew up. Like they got so successful so fast, but like, how did it happen? And you picked up on so many things from BuzzFeed. You learned like what makes content good and were able to apply it to like your TikTok, your Instagram. I want to know, like, when you were first starting out, you were still working a full-time job, right? How did you manage your time 
and you mentioned like you had to put out a piece of content or you wanted to make it a goal to put out a piece of content every single day. What was that like? Like, how were you managing your time? And did you experience burnout? Yeah. Whew. Yeah. That's what I want to ask you. Like, I want to hear about how does that affect your mental health? You know, oh, <laughs> putting out content my, every single day. My mental health was bad, 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 bad. Um, I was burning the candle at both ends. I was exhausted. Um, so I had, you know, my weekly nine to five at Buzzfeed. And I'm also someone who like, is very much like a, a Pavlov dog, like a Pavlovian dog. Like I, like when I get a treat, I'm excited. Like Buzzfeed really had a great system where like, I felt like I was recognized and rewarded every time I did good work. So like, I never wanted to like, let my day job slip. I always made sure I was giving 110% there. But that meant I wasn't doing any your rich BFF work Mondays through Fridays. I did all of my work on Saturdays. I would script out seven videos. And then on Sundays, I would shoot all of them in a row. And I would like change my shirt to make it look like it was a different day. And that was exhausting. It was truly exhausting to the point where like by the end of like, so I quit my job end of March this year. By March, I was like, I don't like social media anymore. I don't like your rich BFF. I don't like working at Buzzfeed. I don't like any of this. And in fact, I liked all of it. That was the problem. I liked all of it too much. Um, I think if I didn't have your rich BFF, I would still be working at Buzzfeed. Like I had a great gig, great manager, great team. But the reason I chose to leave was because I was getting emails for opportunities, for podcasts, for books, for a thousand different opportunities that truly are once in a lifetime. People only dream of getting these kinds of inbounds. And I was having to say no, because I literally did not have an extra hour in the day to do it. And I took a long, hard look at my life. And I was like, in 30 years, when I'm 60-ish, a, a touch shy of 60, am I going to look back on this moment and really, really regret it? And I felt like if I didn't leave, the answer would be yes. And I did a little bit of thought and I was like, listen, digital media strategy sales, ad sales, brand partnership sales, whatever you want to call it, is going to be hot forever. If in a year or two, I flame out, your rich BFF goes crashing down, I could go back. I could try and find a similar job again. Maybe even Busby would take me back. Um, so that kind of gave me a little bit of comfort knowing that I was choosing the riskier route, but I could potentially go back and get a normal job and have a great life, even if it didn't work out. And that is why I decided to quit. Yeah, I mean, that is really powerful perspective, right? And again, the decision to leave is never easy. I feel like it's more emotional and it's financial, right? Mm -hmm. No sense of it security. Was, it was it was definitely more emotional than financial. Like, I'll be totally honest with you. Like, I had made a great living at BuzzFeed, like truly a great living. And I had been so fortunate to like set aside a lot of money, a mm. lot more cash than the average person should have on hand. Um, and for me, it was kind of like a savings goal. I said, when I have $100,000 in this separate bank account, that's not my normal checking or high yield savings or like anything, like this is my Yorbridge BFF fund. When I have it, 
I'll go. And I had that when I left. So I knew that, you know, even if I didn't make any money, I wasn't going to like starve. I wasn't going to not be able to make rent. I wasn't not going to be able to buy groceries, but it was more so like suddenly and, and in our society, so much of our worth is tied to what we do for a living. Suddenly my job was literally my face. Like if I do something bad at work and I have a bad day, I can then go home and be myself. But when I put out a piece of content and it is 60 seconds of my mug, it's a lot more personal. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that real quick. Sorry, Maggie. No, go ahead. Let's talk about that real quick. I, that, that statement where in society, so much of your identity is tied to your job, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that I want to talk, let's dive deep into that for a bit because I yeah. think that's how Maggie and I felt too when we left our jobs. And for mm-hmm. reference, I was a software engineer for about 10 years. It took a lot of pride in it. Took a lot of pride. Oh, made a lot of money. Your parents in there. were so happy. I know. <laughs> oh, kind of took for granted, like the huge amount of money we'll negotiate during negotiation, like half a million. Oh, try and call me, try and lowball me or what? <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and let's talk about that real quick because I feel like in life, we're so much more than our job title. We're so much more than the company we work yeah. for. We're so much more. We're, as human beings, we're most we're multifaceted. We're good at a lot of different things. Right. And I feel like for us to cover this topic, because first of all, you left during this year, so it's kind of recent. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the challenge with a lot of people wanting to leave their job, especially with the great resignation happening. Right. The thought of like, oh no, I, I have a lot of friends that quit recently and they keep texting me like, I'm worthless. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're not worthless. I'm still saying that. <laughs> right. I want to hear about your experience too. Like, how did you overcome the identity crisis that you had? You know? Vivian, the the superstar employee at BuzzFeed, and now Vivian, the content creator. How did you make that transition internally? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack here. Um, in terms of like broad society, like I'll make some big statements here. In our society, I feel like we equate someone's net worth with how morally good they are. So like, if you have more money, we look at these people as better, smarter, faster, stronger, better. Um, And people who have less money, we consider them worse. Like they're less ethical, they're less trustworthy. Like they're just all of these horrible things that we think about people who don't have money, when in reality, all they are is people who don't have money. And I think that is also why we tie so much value to what we do because it's really easy to lean on, oh, I'm a software engineer. You know that mean, you know what that means. You know I'm living good. Like, you know, I'm making multiple six figures and like I drive a nice car. Like, I think we tie so much of our identities with that. Also, because in you know, the, the US at least, like you spend most of your waking hours working. And I think that's problematic in multiple respects because we tie our entire lives to it versus it being like, this is what I do for money. And then outside of that, I'm a person who has interests, hobbies, things that I love. Uh, When I left BuzzFeed, it was a really hard adjustment because unlike young teeny boppers who've never had a corporate job before, they're really excited to tell people I'm an influencer. Whereas for me, 
I was really embarrassed to tell people that because I am, when I left, I was 27. Now I'm 28. And all of my friends have real jobs. Like they're all finance people, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they are engineers. They are people who have quote unquote regular jobs. So when people, when we would like go to like visit friends or like there would be like a, you know, third degree connection and they'd be like, oh, like, what do you do? I'd be like, oh, okay. How much time you got? Because I didn't want to just say, hey, I'm an influencer, especially because that come that word comes with a lot of negative connotation of like, people mistreating service workers or being really disruptive in public. And like, that's not the type of creator that I am, but I was really embarrassed that that was my job title instead of, oh, I'm like a big time partner, you know, a big time client partner at BuzzFeed or like, oh, I'm a trader, you know, it, it, like it, there's just so much more panache to those things, but I've come to really, really embrace it because I think about what I do and the type of life it affords me one, but two, what my impact is. Like when I was trading on Wall Street, I was making very rich people richer. And when I was working in brand partnerships at BuzzFeed, I was making brands richer. And suddenly in my current job, I get to help make every day, regular schmegular Joe Schmoes richer. And that's awesome. One, you know, first and foremost, but two, I think about it and I'm like, well, I get to wake up casually at 9am. I put on a pair of leggings and I work by being on social media. There are people who would kill to have that job. And I make really great money doing that. And so it's really a, you know, a triple threat. I get to help people. I get to pay to, to, you know, do what I love. And I get to really control what my brand becomes. The, 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 there's no ceiling. There's no roof. I decide I am the person making all the calls. Yeah. I think that's a really great point that you make because I feel like for a lot of like Gen Z's, they do grow up in a generation where, you know, it's normal to be an influencer. Everyone wants to be an influencer these days and it's the normal thing to do. Right. And they grow up in a generation with filled with so much tech, so much social media, so for them to say, I'm an influencer, I'm a social media content creator, like everyone's like, oh, that's so amazing, you know, especially in that age group. But for us, we grew up in a generation where our parents had always told us you have to get a regular job or else you're not going to succeed in anything, right? And that's what they tell us because that's all they know. And so we grow up with that mindset. So I feel like Brian and I also go through the same things, like when we quit our jobs to do AHN. Like our parents didn't know what that was, you know? And so they were so worried about us that I think Brian mentioned his parents weren't even talking to him for a couple of months. And my parents, the same thing, like they had no idea how to make money on social media, right? And so it's just interesting to see that dynamic and the difference between the different generations. But it is true that it's just the mindset that you have to get over it, right? Like there are so like the, the, the triple threat that you mentioned, there are so many benefits to being a content creator. And it's not just being a content creator, you're helping so many people, you're changing lives for so many people, not only for rich people, but for especially for like people, regular people who need access to that information the most, who wouldn't otherwise get it, right? Um, 
I do want to know, you mentioned that your face being the brand, you know, I feel like in those cases, your accomplishments, your failures, your struggles, they can affect you so much harder when your face is the brand, right? Yeah. Because especially with a large following, you get direct comments, you know, saying like, you're good at this, you're not good Mm -hmm. at this. And that can affect us so much worse than let's say if you're in a role at your nine to five, only your manager will tell you you're not doing good at something, right? And so for you to have that sort of exposure, did you experience a lot of discrimination being a woman, especially a woman of color in this industry that is so male dominated, talking about personal finance, a topic that can also be a very touchy subject for many. I, I do want to know, like, what were some of the the comments that you, you don't have to go into the detail, but like, did you yeah. go and experience <laughs> some discrimination? Yeah, heck yes, uh, 100%. And at first, it really bothered me. But what was so funny is, you know, I, I always joke that if we're fighting on the internet, both of us are losers. But only one of us is getting paid to do it. And I'm the one making money when people leave me nasty comments because that ups my engagement. And you know what that does? It pushes it out to more people. I mean, I have gotten comments saying like, oh, look at this girl who like just discovered like trading yesterday and like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it's really awkward for you because I actually traded for a living and you have no idea what you're talking about. And I love those moments to be a clapback because not only is that a way to remind weenies that they cannot come for your girl and, you know, they can't make these statements without consequences, but also it helps me find my audience because when young women, when LGBTQ youth, when people of color see me not afraid, see me not back down to these losers, they want to follow me. They want to watch my content because they're like, this girl is going to come for you if you do not get in line. And it's an amazing opportunity. I mean, like, I think the funniest, meanest, not meanest, but like funniest insult I've ever gotten was some guy was like, oh, yeah, look at this little rice bowl. And I was like, is that supposed to be an insult? But the, the funniest part is like, my audience is so awesome. And the BFFs are so protective of me. I think there were people in my comments who like cyber bullied this person until he deleted his comment because it was so embarrassing for him to show that he was just a blatant racist. And my audience was not going to put up with that. Um, So I feel really, really fortunate to have such a strong, thoughtful, caring community behind me. Um, but yeah, it definitely did impact me. It, it, of course, like I'm a human being, like I still read comments and I'm like, that's not nice. But, you know, as you are making content for longer and longer, you see this, you see it like, you're like, oh, that's a good one. Haven't seen that one before. Just kidding. I've seen it 800 times. Like this doesn't bother me. Um, the first time stings the worst, but then every time after that, it gets a little easier and you're like, well, engagement's engagement, I guess. (laughs) Um, but I am very lucky. My content does resonate with a lot of people across a lot of different demographics. And for the most part, I would say 90% of the comments I get are overwhelmingly positive. You know, most of the time often just like, wow, thank you. Also, I have a question. And I love that because those questions are how I develop more content. Yeah. I'm really glad that, you know, 
you have a strong community that backs you up, right? That's most, that's really, really important. As we're all human, as much as people give you advice, like ignore the haters, it's all about algorithm. And then it does kind of drag you down a bit, right? It just drives down the mood. It's like, oh, I hate when people, people are like, like this. <laughs> yeah, but like, I hate when people are like, just ignore the haters. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm cured. Like, oh, yeah. okay. I didn't think of that. Like, I'm trying it, you know, I'm a normal person. My feelings are hurt. Yeah. We're, well, we're part of the community that backs you up. So next time someone comments something mean, you're going to you're be darn sure HM with a blue check mark says something about it. <laughs> what are you doing to my rich BFF? Go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the next part, I want to ask a few fun questions, right? I want to ask about how your life has changed over the last few months and being exposed <laughs> to so much fame that you can't even, can't even walk down the street or eat anywhere oh, without people recognizing that, you. No, that, that is a very generous. Life. That's very generous of you. Um, but I do think it's really, really humbling and flattering when someone stops me on the street and it's like, oh my God, are you my rich BFF? And I'm like, I am. And, you know, it, it's so, so nice. I love it. I love when people stop me. I love taking photos with BFFs. Like, it was so funny. I went um, wedding dress shopping with my childhood best friend. And as we're walking out of the bridal boutique, someone was there, a girl was there with her mom. And she was like, um, are you my rich BFF? And her mom goes, she's been trying to work up the courage for the past 10 minutes to say something. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, don't like, just say hi. Like I'm a normal, regular, regular person. Come, come give me a hug. And that is so awesome. So nice. Um, definitely there are some drawbacks. I'm no longer able to publicly pick wedgies because I don't want people to like, be like, wow, you're rich BFF. That's really awkward. But um, for the most part, it's completely awesome. And I love it. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love how they come up to you and actually say, are, are you my, my rich BFF? Like yeah. they don't go by <laughs> your script, your username, but my rich BFF. <laughs> I, love I love it. it. Um, oh, I do have one question that I want to know, like what has been the most like touching story from one of your followers? Like have, do you, is there like one story that mm -hmm. you particularly yeah. remember where they were just like, you changed my life. Yeah. Um, and I have, I'm so grateful for you. Like, is there one story that you can think of? Yeah. Um, so I made a post about missingmoney.com. And it's essentially a website that gets like, it's a, it's a governmental site that like gets money if people forget about it. So like, that's like rental security deposits, like insurance payouts, you know, you know, anything that like, if that company wasn't able to find you, contact you and give you your money, they are legally obligated to hand it over to the government. The government that obviously tries to have this database so that you can find your money. I had someone DM me and say that she went onto this website because of me. She looked up her name and found that her late partner who had passed away, unfortunately, had a life insurance policy that she didn't know about. And when she went to the site, entered her information, they said like, you know, here's the money you're owed. And it was, I, I, I can't remember what she said, but it was close to almost a million dollars. And it was a life-changing sum of money for her. And she DM me and she was like, very literally, you changed my life. And I mean, I like started crying. It was like, I couldn't contain myself. I was like, wow, if 
there was ever a purpose for your rich BFF, this is it. Like this person already suffered this terrible tragedy, but now to know that she has a lot more financial security, may be able to put down a down payment for a home, pay off debt, invest, save, it, it made me really happy. Wow. That's very touching. I, I got almost teary-eyed and you are literally changing so many people's lives, Vivian. Um, and it's just incredible what you've been doing. So just wanted to like commend you for that. And thank you for so much for sharing that story. Of course. Thank you. So Vivian, we want to ask, um, we're nearing the end of the podcast. So we do want to know like, what is next for you for the next five <laughs> years? Like, what do you see mm-hmm. the future for your rich BFF? Yeah, I think this is just the beginning. Obviously I've only been at this full time for five, like four months, four or five months. Um, but I'd love to be able to delve into other mediums. There are people who are just not social media people. I want to write a book. There are people who out there who want longer content. I'm trying to create some. Um, I'd love to come to a Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, Amazon, you know, to your TV. I want people to be able to be good with money. And I think it shouldn't be as hard as as it is today. Well, we're so excited for all of those upcoming plans for you, Vivian. Um, And I guess we'll end it off with one final question, but that would be if you could give one advice to someone who's just trying to get started in, you know, financial literacy, um, trying to dive into, you know, learning more about personal finance, what would that one advice be? The easiest thing you can do to be better with money is to talk to other people about money. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, I think one thing that we all struggle with is that taboo around talking about finances. We've been told it's rude, it's tacky, it's gross. It's not. We need to be talking to each other about how much we're making, what we're spending, what kind of rates or quotes or costs we're getting from financial institutions like banks. We need to be talking about these things because we joke about, oh, every single friend I know is currently in Italy. Well, why don't you ask one of your friends how they paid for it? Did they fly first class because they had credit card points and got a great deal? Because that helps you frame what that actually means. And it helps you realize that your money goals are much more accessible than you previously thought. That's really good advice, Vivian. I I think a lot of people don't realize that there's so many opportunities to save money because they just don't have the knowledge or access to it, right? Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, if they were able to get access to it, like we would all be saving a lot more money because we we probably just don't know about those opportunities and those options. And so talking about that with your friends, with your peers, just to, you know, get started in those conversations is a really good starting point. And I think a lot of people are afraid to even start those conversations because we always hear, you know, money is the root of all evil. Um, And but that's not true at all. And so we, we really have to start those conversations. So Vivian, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Where can our listeners find more about you and your rich BFF online? 
You can find me as Your Rich BFF across all social media, as well as www.yourrichbff.com. Awesome. We'll leave all of that in the show notes. Vivian, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We had an amazing time learning about your story today. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.